Welcome to the Fitnatics. Today we're joined with Dr. Lindsay Mercer, Doctor of Physical Therapy and Orthopedic Specialist. Hi, Dr. Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me, Susie. It's so nice to be here. Nice to have you. And I can't wait to get started because this topic, feet, we're all about it. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background and area of expertise. Definitely. So as, as Susie said, thank you for that intro. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I've been practicing for 13 years. Um, I do have a certification for an orthopedic specialist and I've been that for the last eight years, I believe. Um, I worked in a outpatient clinic primarily for the first 12 years and then this last year, post pandemic sort of, I decided to make a change entirely and now I treat folks completely online. Um, part of that was I was getting fed up with the headaches related to seeing clinics, excuse me, seeing clients through a clinic, having to navigate insurances. But in addition to that, as an ortho specialist, I started seeing more and more people coming back in for repeated injuries on maybe the same side or the same injury itself. And I was like, what is going on? And then I start to realize these folks are never having their feet looked at. These are folks who have hip, back, knee, ankle pain. And when I talk to them about their history, you know, they've never had their feet assessed before. It's like they keep their shoes on the entire section. So sort of my, I just have a really like huge interest in the anatomy and the mechanics and the function of the feet. And through my experience of treating clients and working with people, you have, you can have such a profound impact on the way you move and the way you feel when we do actually look at the feet. And so that was the other reason why I went out on my own. So here I am now doing one-on-one -on -one and some small group uh, therapy training online. Excellent. So someone who also has transitioned to all online and virtual, um, do you feel that, uh, and, and I know some of the the pushback at times could have been, well, you know, someone's not actually touching me. Someone's right. not actually, tell me, Dr. Lindsay, how do you approach that with your clients now that you're doing virtual and online? Great question. I feel like that's a bit of like just educating the clients and patients about, you know, what sort of issues or injuries might be better suited for a hands-on approach versus uh, an online approach. I think folks will be surprised how much you can accomplish virtually. And once they do participate or work one-on-one -on -one with me, you get a taste of that. You can see what that feels like, but until you've tried it, you know, it's easy to think that there's no way that my body is going to change the way it moves and feels unless your hands are on me. And what's interesting is there's been actually some recent research that has come out specifically looking at knee pain. And it looked at those who have knee pain and have had manual therapy, like hands-on stuff versus exercise, excuse me. So it was manual therapy plus exercise versus just exercise alone. And in terms of function and pain, the exercise alone group did far superior than manual therapy and exercise. So I think that there's this misconception that we have to have hands on us in order to move better and feel better, but that's just not the case. Yes, there are absolutely conditions that are gonna be better suited for an outpatient clinic. For example, if you had surgery of any kind, I would absolutely say, go in, get eyes on you, get hands on you, make sure everything is healing nicely because you don't wanna mess something like that up. But when it comes to, I would say, the clients I treat are, are orthopedic in nature. So it's not something that's super complicated that needs maybe more hands-on than, than what I can provide 
And if they do, then I have like a nice network of in-person people um, around the country so I can kind of refer them somewhere else if need be. Love that. I think that um, you sharing the research behind that really does validate um, how virtual and online training can be effective. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going to 100% agree with you. You got to try it first yes. <laughs> before you can knock it. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing, Dr. Lindsay, and I know, I know you're going to agree with me, whether you're in person or you're virtual, if you're not doing what you need to do, when you're not in front of your therapist, your physician, your trainer, I don't care what, <laughs> what mm-hmm. virtual or online, you're not going to get the progress and the results that you're looking for, correct? Absolutely. Consistently showing up outside of our time together is really the magic sauce of seeing change. Like, yeah, I mean, it really comes from you, the individual, the client, the patient to really like take the action. Absolutely. And you, like you said, I mean, the half hour, hour once a week with me is, you know, that's just a very small fraction. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Dr. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about what are some of the common problems or issues that you see um, when it comes to feet? When it comes to feet, um, Mm -hmm. you might be surprised, but I actually don't necessarily see foot specific pain as much as I see pain further up the chain and we end up addressing stuff down at the feet. But I do see, I would say when it does come to a foot issue, the most common thing I end up treating is folks who've had plantar fasciitis. And then second, I would say if we're going further up, it would be sort of generalized knee pain or hip pain. It might be like pinching in the front of the hip is a common one. And I'll say like inside knee pain, if we want to get kind of specific to area, but Mm -hmm. as far as the foot itself, heel pain, for sure. Generally speaking, most people come to me and say, you know, I've been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis and I hear that and I take it in and then I let them share, you know, what they've done as far as treatment, how effective has it been? And then we usually get to the point where I'm like, okay, now let me show you a picture of the heel. And it's like, holy cow, there's like 20 other items that attach in the same area. So how can you possibly say that one of them is for sure it, especially if they don't look at your feet. So I think when it comes to feet, heel pain, plantar fasciitis probably more specifically is like the most common thing I end up treating when I'm working with folks. Got it. Got it. What, um, what are some of the, the reasons why we see and hear about some of these issues with the heel pain, with the plantar fasciitis? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, I think a huge part of it is, is our footwear, just what we tend to put on our feet. And second, I actually think that it's, um, maybe misconception is not the right word, but, um, particularly when it comes to plantar fasciitis and treating that, Folks uh, have addressed it with, let's say, uh, mobility, mobilizing exercises, stretching exercises, you know, rolling the arch of the foot out on a frozen water bottle or or a lacrosse ball. And and I don't know how, now that I'm going to just pause for a second and just in case anyone in the audience doesn't know what plantar fasciitis is, it's basically just like irritation. I mean, we've already said heel pain, yes, but it's a fascia, thick connected tissue that runs from the heel, base of the heel, all the way up into the base of the toes, sorry, the front of the heel to the base of the toes. So it can get overstretched and overworked. And what really needs to happen to treat it is strengthening the foot versus continuing to stretch and mobilize. So I think I see a lot of people coming in with like repeated or chronic plantar fasciitis because that's been their form of treatment. 
And I think that it's most likely developed because we're either overtraining, meaning like we're doing something too fast, too soon. Maybe we just started exercising or walking more and went from like zero to, you know, 10 miles a day or something. And so overtraining, big component. And then the second one I would say is um, the footwear, because when we're in most shoes that people wear are not foot shaped, meaning the, the toes of the, the foot tend to taper, right? And so we look at a true anatomical foot that is healthy and in its most ideal position, it's like our toes almost fan out at the ends. And so what happens is when we start to cramp those toes in, they can't move as well. And remember the plantar fascia attaches to the toes. Yep. So if our toes can't move as well, we're gonna make up for that movement somewhere. So we end up making up for it by overstretching this plantar fascia when we're in shoes like that because we can't bend or move through our toes. So we have to find it here. And as a result of being in narrow footwear, it creates that repetitive trauma, which ultimately causes the panachitis. Something great info, Dr. Lindsay. Um, thank you for sharing that. Some of the challenges, and, and you probably may know a little bit more than I do, is, you know, individuals will go and they'll go to a foot running store, right? Yeah. And they get measured, they get, you know, they're walking on the pad and they get prescribed or suggested or recommended, you know, certain footwear. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel, you know, uh, that's a, a good way of assessing what's our best footwear or do you suggest or recommend other ways to figure out what's best for our feet? Great question. I have lots of thoughts on this and I'll keep it okay. as best I can. Um, okay. I think that it's fantastic that there are more people who are looking at these things. So I think the fact that there are stores that are geared toward selling footwear to the general public are considering these things, you know, they're considering like how someone runs, like they're actually aware of that having an impact on how they're going to land and what kind of footwear might be best for them, depending on what they believe. So my experience, however, if I'm going to generalize is that Folks who do go into those um, stores and get assessed on the treadmill by, I would say, like a novice. Like, so a salesman, someone who's not necessarily trained in the mechanics of running formally or extensively, they're most likely going to see something that's either already been pointed out to them or that they just sort of know is common in folks. And so I always hear pronation, you know, you, you overpronate, you pronate, you pronate, you pronate. And meaning their arch just collapse when they run, right? When their foot hits the, the treadmill instead of it being in this nice arch, it collapses. Which it needs to do, which is the thing that kind of gets in my craw, is like our foot <laughs> We need the arch to collapse to absorb shock. The problem lies if we can't control that motion, just like if we were, say, holding like a heavy dumbbell and we were lowering it to the floor, you know, if we just like dropped it to the floor, that's kind of like what our arch is doing if it's not strong enough to control that motion. So basically when someone goes into these foot Thank stores. You. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> they're, okay. they're basically told they're pronators, right? And so then they're put in this really rigid shoe most of the time, or they're put in a shoe with orthotics or inserts, and it ends up creating a much more rigid environment for that foot. And depending on the person, I would say most people don't need that kind of footwear is the thing. I think people are most often sort of over 
um, stabilized, if you will. It's like we want to like limit as much motion in our foot as we can because it's causing us pain. So that's the reason I don't like it is I think you sometimes get some less educated opinions about something that's really not such an issue. And so when they come to me and they bring in these like super expensive shoes and these really expensive orthotics and I'm like, throw them out, get them out of here. You know, they're just like, what? But that's my trouble there. And then the one other thing is uh, I think of those Dr. Scholl's, mm -hmm. um, whatever's that you see at CVS when you go like in. Like a little kiosk, uh-huh. And so what's interesting is they're operating under the premise of when you stand, that the placement of your feet and the way your weight is distribu distributed in your feet, they can determine, okay, well now, since you collapse here and we feel it here, we need to support you here, et cetera. However, we know from research that arch height does not determine pain in the foot. Meaning like if your foot's super flat, it doesn't mean that you're gonna have a ton of pain at all. You could have a very high arch and have um, a lot of pain as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the, when you're standing on that, excuse me, and we're, it's measuring sort of weight distribution, it's also assuming that your heel is in what they call like subtalar neutral. No one needs to remember that, but it's basically like a specific position in the ankle that used to be thought of as the best or most ideal position for a foot to be in. And that if you're not resting in this subtalar neutral position that we should, you know, put you in orthotics to get you there, basically. Science has showed us that that is just not true. So it doesn't matter about the arch of your foot, doesn't matter about the position of your subtalar joint, you can have pain in all of those conditions. So I think if you go to those machines, you stand on it, it's going to tell you for sure, this is what you should buy. And, you know, some people might feel some pain relief, which is great. That could just be that it's like cushy and it could just be a placebo effect, but if it helps, fantastic, you know, yeah. no harm, no foul. Um, but I, I think there's a better way. There we go. There we go. I like that. I really do. So then when it comes to um, orthotics, yes. is that something that, you know, we should really investigate, do a little bit more uh, research on whether that works for us or not? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think if you're already in them and it's mm -hmm. working for you, stay there. I think if it's something that you haven't worn before and it's maybe being proposed to you by, you know, your podiatrist, an orthopedic surgeon, whoever it is that you're working with, I think that should give you pause. I think anytime we want to uh, immobilize a joint, whether it's your foot or your knee or your elbow, I think that we need to think, is this the best thing that we can do? Like, is there something more we can do? Because I think that should be like the last resort, the last option, the last resort that we do to treat that thing. Um, but there are many, many conditions of the foot that benefit from custom orthotics and it's what they need to get by and move pain-free. I just believe that we tend to over prescribe orthotics in general. And then one other thing about orthotics, which also has some science and research to back it up, is let's say, um, I mean, I used to be that person, honest. Like my first two years out of grad school, I was treating people and I was like putting everyone in super feet. Like you get a pair, you get a pair, <laughs> you know? And then I start 
putting people in these layers and there's like, you know, a bunch of colors, right? And they're all supposed to be specific for different whatevers. But come to find out, like I could put a, a green one in one shoe and a blue one in the other and they're walking out and they have no idea. They have no idea that they're different. They feel the same. And mm -hmm. what science has showed us is that if someone is having pain and they're put in orthotic, 80% of those folks do just as well in the over-the-counter orthotic as those who are in a custom-made one. And the price point is like usually significant. So for those folks who do have, or it is suggested of them to get orthotics, try over-the-counters first, because again, like 80% of the population, it's gonna work for you if you're having pain, that might be just all you need. And then you can only wow. spend, and you're only spending, you know, 30 bucks versus 300 plus or whatever. Exactly, there exactly. For it, if you have orthotics and it's working for you, stick with it. Got it. Very good. Yeah, that's, you know, once again, you know, um, I believe that that research really does um, play a role in validating like, okay, let me, let me try this out. Let me give this a shot. And it reinforces, you know, that just because we've been told a certain thing, you know, for a certain amount of time, doesn't mean that that's necessarily the case. So right. I, I appreciate that, you know, providing that research. I know a lot of my audience really is like, let me know the facts. Let me know the facts. <laughs> I appreciate that too. Absolutely. So here's the thing. A lot of times, you know, we, we, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, we may have something going on with our hips or our lower back, or even, you know, the shoulder, mm. even the neck. Does that have any correlation to our feet? It absolutely can, 100%. Yes. And sort of the, the, the two points that might sum that up nicely is, um, one is like, yes, everything is connected. So if we um, are thinking of fascia, and again, for anyone who maybe isn't familiar with that term, it's connected tissue that we have throughout our body. Yes, we talked about the plantar fascia. In addition to the plantar fascia, we have it all throughout and it's just to hold everything together. Now, these lines, these stretches, these pieces of fascia throughout our body are connected to one another. The plantar fascia happens to bleed right into the Achilles tendon to the back of the heel, up the calf, back of the knee, up the back of the thigh, into the low back, into the mid back, into the neck. So if there is a restriction or a compromise to the fascia at any point along its path, it theoretically could cause or contribute to pain below or above it. Absolutely. So I think that's one. Two, I mean, if you think about walking specifically, running is a great example as well, but being more upright and moving versus sedentary and your foot, as we talked about, you know, absorbs shock when it hits the ground. If it's not able to do that, then we absorb it somewhere else, right? So if our foot's not absorbing the shock well, it's gonna be our ankle, our knee, our hip. But if you can think about like um, landing, this is probably the, a better example. If you can think about coming off of a step and just like landing on your right foot only, typically you would land like kind of middle of your foot, right? Your knees bent, your ankles bent so that your body can like sink down and absorb that. Imagine if you just stepped off and landed with a stiff leg heel first. Like thinking about it, it's like I can feel it here, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you can imagine that, say, someone is maybe hitting a little heavy on their heel when they're walking repetitively, then yeah, that very well could be something that we might end up taking, you know, 
the neck might you know take us down to where the foot is and that kind of comes with just um in the intake or subjective with a client or patient is you know when is your pain happening really getting to the details there because that's going to guide me to think you know are the feet part of this because like if your neck pain's happening when you're sitting at the chair i'm probably not going to look at your feet as much you know right so there's a context you have to look at that with but absolutely it can contribute <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. I think sometimes even when I work with my clients, um, you know, I, I defer the feet. I, you know, definitely feel it's really important, significant to have that awareness, um, to look at our feet, you know what I mean? And sometimes we just put our socks on and shoes on and we don't really look like, Hey, you know, my toes are coming together or, or this toe is bigger than that. Things like that, that I feel are important and it gets overlooked. It gets overlooked. Um, so speaking about the toes, I know there, I've been seeing a lot of these toe spacers, toe, putting these spacers in between our toes. Why? Why do we need to do that, Dr. Lindsay? Why do we need to do that? I love toe spacers. So uh, kind of like what you just said about like folks' toes coming in, and we talked earlier with, you know, mostly from wearing narrowed shoes for the duration of our lives in most cases, right? As a result, our foot has adapted to this position or created this position where stuff is kind of squished together and we're narrowed at the top. So if we want to try to create this more anatomically spread out base of support for our body, then we want to try and create space between those toes. And so putting in something like... All right. I saw you posting about this recently, so I know... <laughs> Like these are, forgive them if they, you know, if they look dirty. These are just a pair of silicone rubber ones. So they're super, super stretchy, which is what I love. And basically this just goes around the big toe. And then you can imagine these are between each of your toes. So it ends up splaying them out nicely. It's intended to be like a gentle stretch. I would say for most people, they're not going to really feel a thing. I mean, yes, they'll feel the fact that this is on their feet, but it's not going to feel like, whoa, this is like a really intense stretch. I have to take these off unless they're wearing them for a long period of time, then I've definitely had people feel it that way. I'll say like, I've worn these and exercised barefoot plenty. And I always find that my muscles of my feet just feel more active afterward. And so when we have the spacers and we're using them to create this space between our toes, it's creating more space for all of the muscles of the foot to be able to work and do their job. Because when we're cramped like this, they can't do everything that they need to. Uh, second is having the space too allows for freedom of movement for veins, arteries, and nerves that run between your toes. So if you know anyone out there has say like a neuroma or they've been told they have something like metatarsalgia, which is like toe pain, like a fancy way to say it. Um, or even like a, an arthritic big toe, bunion, I mean, that's probably the obvious one. Those are all conditions where if we can wear toe spacers a bit more often, just in our daily life, then we'll create more space there and ultimately a better aligned foot, which will hopefully resolve pain for us if we're having pain. Got it. Very good. So with the toe spacers, um, how often should you wear them in a day? You know, hours, do you wear them workouts when you're walking? What, what do you, what do you suggest? If you're new to them, start with just wearing them and hanging out Just see how they feel on your feet. Um, there's a variety of toe spacers out there. I would say, generally speaking, if you get the silicone ones, like, I think that's pretty harmless because 
they're not rigid enough to kind of force your foot into a really unnatural position. There are some toe spacers out there that I've seen. I can't say I've worn them myself, but I'm like, dang, that looks like way too much. It's almost like spreading your toes like this. Okay. If you're new to toe spacers, I would just slip them on and just like hang out, you know, maybe start with like 10 minutes, see how you feel. If you're comfortable and have no problem, then I would start to just wear them around the house walking barefoot. You can still put socks on if you want. Um, I have worn these inside foot shaped shoes before and gone for a walk. That also left my foot feeling like it was really like worked and fatigued. So I think when you start to add movement with the toe spacers, it's just being maybe a little more conservative because you might, it might be easy to overdo it. So starting with maybe just daily putting them on for 10 minutes at a time and just going from there, you know, walking around the house, maybe going for a walk if you want to, no one has to do that. And as far as like frequency, I mean, I guess it just depends on sort of the significance of, you know, the, the toes and their position. Because if okay. you're someone who, say, has a bunion, I'd probably encourage you to wear these a heck of a lot more. Like, I'd probably encourage you to wear them, like, upwards of the whole day. Uh, uh, that would not probably happen straight away. You know, it might be, right. like, wear this for, you know, 10 minutes first, see how it goes. But I think most people just wearing them around the house is a great place to start. And there's no harm in testing out wearing them and walking around the house. So even, and, and I've never tried toe spacers out, so I'm excited about giving it a try. Um, so even if you don't experience any foot pain or, you know, the toes are not super tight together, it's still something that will be good because what I'm hearing from you is it's allowing some of the circulation, the nerve, all of that and work, actual work in the foot um, to help us stabilize, balance, et cetera. Exactly. That, that last part you just said, the stabilize and balance part. And I think that that's probably really applicable too for anybody as we age, you know, we, we feel a little more weak or unstable perhaps with negotiating stairs or standing on one foot. Having a wider base in your foot is going to create a more stable platform, which I, you know, So the majority of my audience is, um, I would say probably over 50 and females. What, um, what should we be looking for as we continue to age and be active uh, when it comes to our feet? Great question. So I think your feet are probably just the same as anybody else's and it still is going to require the same sort of attention. However, as we age, we tend to develop other conditions in our feet, uh, more like arthritis, osteoarthritis. That's just the bone on bone. RA or rheumatoid arthritis is a common one I would see in the feet sometimes when I was in a clinic at least. And those are conditions that I just see in an older population than I do in the younger populations. Um, And I guess what comes with that is that both of those are affecting joints, joints of the foot. And so if you are developing, say, a more stiff foot, if you're noticing that, then you might be able to get ahead of perhaps any of the symptoms that may progress to a more significant arthritis. I'm not going to pretend like this is on the effect of rheumatoid arthritis. There's lots of other factors obviously that come into play there, but if you can be like more aware and in tune with your foot, right, then when you start to notice that something's not moving well, or it doesn't feel quite as right, then you can get ahead of that a little sooner. So I think 
looking at your feet. Like you said, like, look at them, like spend time down there. Like, no, your toenails look like, you know, I mean, it's sometimes surprising how many people like don't, don't know. Like you said, they don't know what their feet look like. They don't know what the bottom of their feet looks. There's lots of reasons they may not be able to, but I think as we get older, just being aware of our foot and making sure that, you know, we're moving it around and staying healthy and active in your feet is probably going to have the biggest impact on that. So I guess just staying, spending more time in bare feet, because I think we were talking about this earlier, that it does seem to me that in the older population, the more, it seems like the older they get and they go to a doctor with complaints of foot pain or something, it's like a stiffer, thicker, rigid shoe than anything else. So stay mobile, keep your feet free so that you can, yeah, just stay ahead of that curve that might be, you know, in your genetics. I, I like that, Dr. Lindsay. Let me, um, so what do you, and this is good. It was in, in terms of workouts. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned, you said you work out, you know, in bare feet. Is that something that if it's, of course, if you're not experiencing tremendous pain or discomfort, would you suggest that individuals, you know, if they could work out in bare feet? I think so. I do. I think that if you're not having pain and, and like you said, it's feeling good too, I think spend more time in bare feet. You're just going to continue to build strength and control there. And even I'd say I've become a more active barefoot um, advocate in the last couple of years. And even for me in the last couple of years, like I, I've seen changes in my foot shape and in the way it moves and how it feels and how it affects my knee because my left knee is kind of a constant ongoing thing. So I think, yes, going bare feet is great. I also go in shoes like so I will crossfit sometimes and depending on like if there's weights being tossed around like I don't want my toe to get broken you know? <laughs> yeah you can still drop on my shoe and break my toe sure but there's just for me at least sometimes I have comfort in knowing that my toes are a little more protected in a pair of shoes but I have absolutely done some like heavy weightlifting or just casual walking wearing bare, wearing bare feet in bare feet yeah, so go for it. Absolutely. I like that. Okay, very good. I know that when I teach a uh, a balance class or even a functional fitness class, um, I'm like, hey, if you want to be in bare feet, let's do it. You know, I encourage that um, for sure. So I'm glad that I'm getting some validations from you, Dr. Lindsay. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, any particular shoe brand, or I know you mentioned that you know, uh, the shape of the shoe is, we should be looking at that more. Is there a particular brand or we should just be looking at the shape of the shoe being a little bit more fanned out um, in the top or in the front versus what we've seen kind of the narrowing? Right. I think both. I think that I can answer both. But as far as being educated of knowing what a foot shape shoe looks like is going to be a big help because you're going to walk into a store and you might ask a salesman, hey, can you help me find a foot shaped shoe. And depending on their knowledge, they might hand you something that to you is like, oh, cool. And it's wide, looks great, but maybe it's not really. But knowing truly that it's more this fan shape versus tapered is a big help for one. As far as brands go, what's cool is I'm seeing more and more kind of boutique shoe companies come out with foot shaped shoes that don't look so goofy. I think most <laughs> people's complaint from, and I'm one of them, like I was resistant to going to foot shaped shoes. I was like, are you kidding? That's kind of <laughs> And then I first started hiking in ultras, A-L-T-R-A, 
and it was a common trail shoe and it was a low top. It's not a high boot. And I tried that because that was kind of like a common thing in a lot of the through hiker community. And I was like, okay, well, if it's good enough for them, let me give it a shot. And I just loved wearing them. And then I just didn't care that my feet looked like <laughs> after a while because they just felt so good. And, you know, I would finish like a 14 mile day on the trail and feel great. And so after I had that pair of ultras, I bought a few others and I've been very, very happy with that brand. Um, I do have a pair of Vivo Barefoots that are coming to me. I've yet to try them myself, but I'm very excited about that. Um, but as far as uh, others, there's there's many other brands. Olenka or Belenka is another one. And I would say that along with some of the others, but of course, Vivo Barefoot, we said um, Belenka. Lems is another one. There's many others, but... Okay. They make more barefoot shaped like a casual footwear, whereas ultra, right, is kind of yeah. running, walking, hiking. And what about when you want to just like go to the store or, you exactly. know, get at your kid's soccer game, then you might just want something that looks a little more casual. Those are brands that all that have created models and versions of footwear that are more foot shaped and they're getting better. They're evolving and they're getting better. They are getting better. The people are talking. The people are talking. So better colors, <laughs> please, better colors. Like that's what yes. I want. <laughs> awesome. So Dr. Lindsay, how can someone reach out to you, work with you? Um, please tell us, please share with us. What do you've Absolutely. got going on over there? Probably the easiest way, honestly, is DMing me on I on Instagram and my handles Lynn's Merce, L-I-N-D-Z-M-E-R-C. And that's the easiest way. I will absolutely get back to you the quickest way there. You can certainly email me, lindsay.mercer at gmail.com um, or visit my website, which is lindsaymercer.com. And that's with an A just for the general public. And yeah, but Instagram is going to be the quickest way to probably get any kind of response from me. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. And last but not least, are you a fitnatic? <laughs> now tell us how you stay fit and healthy well presently it, it changes is the truth okay. and I kind of have come to love that actually um I used to think you had to stick with one form of exercise and you couldn't like change it and I don't know where <laughs> I got that idea from but um lately I have joined a CrossFit gym here in Arizona and to me that's been super fun meeting new people having the community support and the encouragement from the coaches and advice and all of that um, but otherwise walking is probably the only form of cardiovascular exercise that I get and I definitely enjoy hiking um, but consistent week to week is some crossfit and walking sometimes I'll do an at home metcon in bare feet because part of me wants to just make sure I do that because if I'm at the gym I'm I'm staying in my shoes at the gym <laughs> right now at least <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I love to lift weights and walk. Those are my two favorite things, I think. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lindsay, for your time and the very valuable information you shared with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, guys. Until next time.